This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. Welcome everyone to People Get Ready, part three. Before we begin with this program, uh, I'm going to hand it over to our language justice team um, to give folks instructions on how to connect to the line and also giving other tips to uh, create a more um, accessible space together. Eh, hola, hola. Buenos días a todos. Mi nombre es Alexia y estoy aquí con mi compañera Yaya. Eh, juntas somos eh, parte de su equipo de justicia del lenguaje y estamos aquí como intérpretes al inglés y al español. Welcome. Hello, everybody. My name is Alexia and I'm here with my partner, Yaya. We are part of the language justice team and we're here today as English Spanish interpreters. Eh, la justicia del lenguaje incluye el compromiso de la presencia plena de todas las personas y la capacidad de comunicarnos en nuestros idiomas. Language justice includes a commitment to everyone's full presence and capacity to communicate in our languages. Eh, quisiera empezar reconociendo todos los idiomas presentes en el espacio, así como también los idiomas de los pueblos indígenas de esta tierra. Yaya y yo estamos en Los Ángeles, la cual es eh, tierra tongva no cedida. I want to acknowledge all the languages here today, as well as the languages of the indigenous people of this land. Yaya and I are in Los Angeles on unceded tongva land. Eh, a veces la justicia del lenguaje se puede manifestar eh, con todo el mundo participando en el mismo espacio, usando las herramientas y las prácticas de la comunicación equitativa y a veces como el evento de hoy se puede manifestar con una presentación que se hace eh, principalmente en un idioma mientras eh, los intérpretes trabajamos para incluir a las personas que usan otros idiomas como el español y el lenguaje norteamericano de señas que estaremos usando hoy. Sometimes language justice looks like everyone participating in the same space using the tools and practices of equitable communication. And sometimes, as at today's event, it looks like a presentation happening primarily in one language, while interpreters work to include folks who use other languages such as Spanish and ASL, which will be using, uh, used here today. Entonces, hoy las personas que prefieran acceder, accesar, eh, participar en español pueden llamar a la línea de teléfono que es la 609-663-1611 y lo voy a repetir de nuevo para las personas que quieran escuchar en español es el 609-663-1611 Today, people who prefer to participate in Spanish can call a separate phone line which is 609 663 1611. 
I'm going to repeat it again. For people who want to participate in Spanish can call a separate phone line, which is 609-663-1611. Eh, y un pequeño detalle para las personas conectándose por ahí. Por favor, mantenga su eh, teléfono en silencio para poder minimizar el ruido de fondo. And um, a small detail for people that are connecting there today, please mute yourself when you're there to minimize background noise. Y también un pequeño detalle para las personas que van a estar presentando, por favor recuerden llevar un paso moderado cuando hablen para poder comunicar la información como mejor sea posible. Um, and a small reminder for the speakers and presenters today, uh, we I invite you to keep a mother pace so we can communicate everything that's being said um, effectively. Eh, muchas gracias al Centro de Educación Política, nuestros compas y a Haymarket Fox por hacer posible que podamos estar aquí hoy en solidaridad con sus esfuerzos multilingües y el evento ya puede empezar. Ahora les, les pasamos el micrófono de vuelta. Gracias. Thank you for the Center of Political Education and Haymarket for making it possible for us to be here in solidarity with your multilingual efforts. The event can officially begin now. What's up, everybody? My name is Kiwi Elefante. I am a cultural worker in the form of hip hop music, as well as a graphic designer with Design Action Collective. Uh, we are a worker-owned cooperative here in Wichin Ohlone Territory, also known as Oakland. And I'm an archer. Um, I am wearing a yellow sweatshirt with a backwards, backwards black cap that has some floral designs on it. My skin is brown and there is a pretty scruffy black beard on my face. I also have headphones on to monitor this as well as this microphone in my hand. Um, I wanted to welcome you to the People Get Ready 3 conference. This is a crucial gathering for organizers, community members, educators, and frontliners to kind of assess the political moment that we are in right now and share ideas on how our movements can be proactive as we move forward in these next few years. And in that light, I would like to share this song with you. It's called Restless. Yeah. Uh-huh. People get ready. 2020. Shout out to all the organizers, all the folks doing the work. Need y'all. They say that hindsight is 2020. Well, we got through 2020 and you think we'd have a handle, but it's still hella messy. No matter what, yo, these leaders are hella sketchy. Money is power and you know they getting plenty while we scraping off a penny. Getting pushed out of the town. Cost of living going up, chance of living going down. What goes around doesn't come around. If you're brown, praying for someone to save us till we stuck beneath the ground. However many leaves and bounds we continue. Our spirit can't be bought, you see it's something that is in you. Food is looking at it like an item on the menu But that is not a state of being they can ever get to Spiritual or mental This is from the root, not a copy or a stencil This is our truth transported in this vessel Reaching another level The revolution coming soon, put it on the schedule, yo Go ahead and keep counting us out We gonna take our freedom when you least expect it You better keep that same energy Talking shit about my people Cause my people are motivated and restless What's up, y'all? You ready? Yup, yup, we ready to roll I said you ready? 
Yo, people get ready. I said you ready. Yo, the drama unfolds to see that my grandmother planted from out of the cold. Our liberation wrapped in a blanket, a sight to behold. Some hope for this land we inhabit for oil and gold. They be steady attacking the planet while we steady distracted by our digital phones. And we dumping all our plastic on indigenous bones. They pushing people out of their original home. Cause some greedy ass dictator sits on the throne. Look, only so long that a human can take this. The government, schools, and police all racist. They talk about freedom but denying the basics. Food, clothes, shelter, healthcare, education. Man, we get an impatient. We like a popcorn growing out of the pavement. Kicking the doors open, jumping off of the spaceship. The portrait is painted. A long road to glory. Oh, the story is sacred. Yeah. Go ahead and keep counting us out. We gonna take our freedom when you least expect it. You better keep that same energy. Talking shit about my people cause my people are motivating the rest. What's up, y'all? You ready? Yup, yup, we ready to roll. Hey, yo, you ready? Yup, yup, we ready to roll. Yo, people get ready. Yup, yup, we ready to What's up, y'all? You ready? Yup, yup, we ready to roll. Yeah. Thank you, Kiwi Elefante, for getting us started in such an inspiring way. And I'd also like to extend my apologies uh, for not having ASL interpretation or Spanish interpretation. And we appreciate everybody's uh, patience as we learn how to create more inclusive spaces um, in this virtual format and uh, with different uh, technological platforms. So um, apologies and thank you for your patience. My name is Hasmin Delgado, and I'm the program coordinator for Center for Political Education. On behalf of CPE and Haymarket Books, we'd uh, welcome you to People Get Ready 3, a convening on strengthening the left, beating the right, and building power for the long haul. Uh, before talking about what we've prepared for you today, I also want to start off by paying my respects to the Chechenyo Olone peoples, the traditional custodians of Wichin Olone the land from which I'm calling, also known as Oakland, California. And in so doing, I invite all of us to lift up the longstanding struggle for um, by indigenous peoples against colonialism and imperialism, and to redouble our solidarity in the fight for indigenous sovereignty and the right relationship with the land. And so, you know, as you're joining us, and if you feel called to do so, we invite you to use the comment section in this live stream to name and honor the traditional lands that you're calling in from. CPE is a resource for left and progressive movements, the working class and people of color. We are non-sectarian, democratic, and committed, sorry, committed to a critical analysis of local, regional, and global politics. We believe that movements are strongest when their organizing and activism are grounded in historical knowledge, strong theory, and rigorous analysis. And we're incredibly excited and grateful to partner up with Haymarket Books to bring people Get Ready 3 to the digital realm and to a broader audience than in years past. Um, we especially want to thank our comrades at Haymarket Books, Dana Blanchard, who has been our partner in planning, and John McDonald and Sean Larson, who are helping us make sure everything runs smoothly today. We also want to acknowledge that today is the birthday of Eric Quezada, one of CP's founders and the guiding light of our work today. 
uh, CP misses Eric every day, and we hope that our work is a good testament to his legacy. The first People Get Ready conference was born out of the need to gather and galvanize left and progressive forces in the face of Trump's election in 2016. And since then, our conferences have provided a crucial space for organizers and activists to take, to take stock of the political moment, to learn from one another's work, and to engage in fruitful struggle about what's needed um, from our movements to build the kind of power that we need to thrive. So much hangs in the balance as we gather at the end of a long and turbulent year that brought us a deadly pandemic, the rise of the right, unrelenting state violence against people of color and black people in particular, an increasing climate cat catastrophe here in the US and across the globe. And yet our movements for social justice have incredible momentum to build on. Left forces contributed to unseating Trump and helped fuel the most powerful and widespread black-led protests for racial justice that this country has seen since the 1960s. And while we celebrate those victories, um, let's also take a sober look at what our movements have built and, what, and consider what we need to put in place to move from defense to offense in the years ahead. People Get Ready 3 is built around an exploration of what we need to do uh, to move beyond resistance and defense to building power. And to pump us up for the day, we will start with a keynote opening from organizer, author, and strategist Alicia Garza, principal of Black Futures Lab and author of the new book, The Purpose of Power. And after a short break, we invite you to join us for a session during which the speakers will assess what the left built through a variety of electoral experiments in 2020. And the session after that will focus on assessing the threats posed by the far right and how the left can build power against the right's white supremacy and authoritarianism. And if you want to learn more about concrete skills and tools for moving from defense to offense, we encourage you to stick around for our closing session, which will focus on tools and skills organizers and activists can sharpen to give us the best fighting chance to build power against the right. So please join us for one or all of these sessions and feel free to uh, let your comrades, friends, and family know that you're tuning in and invite them to do the same. And please use the hashtag PeopleGetReady3, all one word, to spread the word over social media. And we also want to thank everyone who is making this event possible, uh, starting with the incredible group of people helping to ensure that this event is accessible to more people. So our captioning team, uh, Joyce Casey and Jamie Powell with Caption Associates, ASL interpreters, uh, Brandon Kazen-Maddox and Nora Joy Rodriguez, and Spanish language interpreters uh, with Antenna Collective. Alexia Veitia-Rubio, Yaya Laureano, and, Jeff Hoff and Jen Hoffner. Uh, thank you all for your help in ensuring that this event is accessible. Um, We're also grateful to our speakers who are taking time out of their hectic schedules to engage in these conversations, um, Dana Blanchard and everyone at Haymarket Books, and to all of you who will be tuning in, uh, posing questions and carrying these lessons forward from this day forward um, into your lives and into your political work. Um, and finally, putting all this uh, 
together takes resources. So if you make a donation, if you made a donation for a ticket when you registered, uh, thank you. Um, and if you're attending for free, we encourage you to consider making a donation today uh, to CPE or to Haymarket to support our work. Uh, Dana will be sharing donation links in the chat box all day. So don't miss an opportunity to support uh, Left Power Building. And now, without further ado, I want to introduce our keynote speaker for this event. Um, and I need to take a sip of water. So Alicia Garza is here with us today. Alicia is one of the co-founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. She is currently the founder and principal at the Black Futures Lab, an initiative aimed at building the political power of Black communities. She also serves as the uh, Strategy and Partnerships Director of the Nas National Domestic Workers Alliance, the nation's premier voice for millions of domestic workers in the U.S., and additionally, Alicia is the co-founder of Supermajority, a new home for women's activism. Her work has been featured in Time, The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Guardian, Elle, and Essence, uh, just to name a few. And her first book, uh, The Purpose of pa Power, How We Come Together When We Fall Apart, was just released last month with One World, uh, Penguin Random House. And the book provides a powerful account of the personal events, historical processes, and political struggles that have shaped Alicia's political trajectory, while drawing key lessons for building movements um, and winning power at the scale that we need. And, you know, as I was reading the book, I was really blown away by the generosity, vulnerability, um, and political lucidity uh, and visionary expansiveness palpable in every page of the book. And every time, you know, I, I picked up the book, but also when I hear Alicia speak, including in her um, amazing podcast, um, it's clear that I'm in the presence of a consummate political educator, curious, engaging, razor sharp, uh, without ever forgetting that relationships are the, life, the lifeblood of our movements. And I'm sure that her opening remarks are going to give us a lot to chew on as we engage with the rest of the sessions and prepare ourselves for the fight ahead. So we're truly honored to have her. Uh, please join me in welcoming Alicia Garza. Oh, thank you so, so much, Yasmin. First of all, thank you for being a listener to Lady Don't Take No. It's one of my favorite projects, and it's where I get to let all the things out. But thank you to the Center for Political Education. And, you know, as I was preparing my remarks for today, I just was sitting in a lot of gratitude for this institution, which has weathered many, many storms to be the anchor for our movements, to be the compass for organizers, and to be the kind of institution that um, can continue to show us the way. So it's an honor to be here with all of you today. And um, I also am grateful as well for the reminder uh, about Eric Casada and um, wanted to send love to Lorena and his daughter and his family and the people who loved him and who still love him and who miss him every day. Um, Eric was an incredible pillar in our community and someone who um, was instrumental in shaping my experience when I was organizing in San Francisco. Um, so thank you and shout out to you, Eric, wherever you are, my friend. I wanted to start off today um, 
by talking a little bit about not just where we are, although I'm sure many of us have been doing many autopsies over the last few weeks about how we got here, what is happening. But I really want to spend a lot of time today talking about where we go from here. <clears throat> Clearly, uh, 2020 has pulled no punches, my friend. 2020 has been a year of um, what I would call building muscles around uncertainty and learning each and every step of the way how to be resilient in the face of crisis and chaos. But also 2020 has really forced us to not just be grounded in our vision, but to expand it due to rapidly changing circumstances all the time, every time. <laughs> Clearly, as Yasmin said, we are in the midst of what I would say are unprecedented conditions for my generation. We certainly have seen this country shaped, not just in this last year, but over the last decade, by a rising tide of protest movements from Black Lives Matter to climate justice to uh, fighting for the rights and dignity of immigrants uh, to fighting literally uh, the austerity that is uh, becoming a blanket over our communities once again. And there are many more fights that have emerged. In fact, just the other morning, I was uh, riding my bike through Oakland and ran into a protest uh, of Indian farmers, which I later learned is uh, one of the largest protests in history, right? It was something like 250 million people who were also fighting back against neoliberal policies as it relates to their livelihood. And what we know is that protests don't come out of nowhere. Protests are the result of sustained organizing and agitation, and protests often are the most visible parts of what happens when people are sick and tired of being sick and tired and are at the crux and at the brink of reimagining what a new world can look like and fighting for it. We also, of course, have seen a devastating global pandemic that has literally brought one of the uh, largest and strongest economic engines in this world to its knees. And the full fumbling and mismanagement, uh, both <laughs> intentional and accidental, uh, of this pandemic has meant that uh, hundreds of thousands of people have died. Uh, we are in a moment right now where there are thousands of people dying every day, um, and these are preventable deaths. Uh, we have seen this pandemic reshape not just how we be together in our communities, hence why we are connecting over technology platforms rather than gathering in person, but we have also seen this pandemic completely reshape our economy and our political systems. And that is not just true here in the United States, of course, that is also true around the world. We've seen that in this year in particular, we had uh, the 2020 presidential elections, which frankly, uh, I would say 
could be dubbed as the most important election cycle in a generation where millions of people and millions more who didn't participate previously decided that it was time for an intervention against what many can consider to be one of the greatest threats to humanity in President Donald Trump. And of course, Trump as one person represents uh, the rise and the transformation of a movement that has been reshaping this country for at least the last three decades. We are moving from the rise of conservative politics, the rise of conservative governance into the rise of authoritarianism and the rise of fascism. I want to be clear that getting rid of Donald Trump for now and in this moment uh, does not mean that we have rid our nation or our world of the challenges that we face. So many of us understand that deeply because we are connected to community, because we know that We've seen the seeds and even the sprouts of many of the problems that have emerged as full-blown organisms in this moment. We saw these happening five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And that means that Donald Trump himself cannot be to blame, but that he is the product of a powerful movement that has kept its eyes on building power, maintaining power, and changing power for the better part of three decades. And so then the question for us becomes, even as we have been able to compel our movements to engage in an arena that we have largely been ambivalent about for far too long, even as our participation helped to not only make an intervention that will be talked about in history books for generations to come, but we have also uh, uh, laid have laid at our feet um, one of the biggest paradoxes, I think, in a generation, which is this. Now that we have invested our time, our energy, our resources, our vision in making sure to intervene against one of the greatest threats to humanity. What do we now do with the changed political landscape that we have brought forward? And for me, um, I always like to start this piece of where we go from here. Um, with an organizing tenant that I take with me all the time. <laughs> and so I want to share with you all this afternoon, wherever you are, morning for me, that the thing that I have been holding as my own compass in terms of how to think about what we are facing, what we are up against, and what kinds of fighters we need to be in this moment is a is a it's an adage that I talk about in my book. And it's derived from an experience that I recently had um, with the passing away of my mother. And it was then when I was introduced to um, the concept and the practice of care, hospice care. And for me, when I look at the chaos, the carnage and the destruction around us 
And when I know that even in looking at that destruction, even in looking at that chaos, even in looking at that carnage, that things have not died, <laughs> then it means for me that I, I want us to be sure to pay attention to what can it look like right now to ensure that we do not intervene in the process of the death of ways of being, practices, systems that are not sustainable and that are not good for us. And hospice care is really organized around just that. It is organized around the principle of dignity, but it is also very much organized around the principle of non-intervention in the dying process. And for me, when I look at, you know, um, how far we have come and how far, uh, how close to the brink, I should say, that we are right now. Um, there are many attempts to resuscitate that, that which does not need to be resuscitated. We know it in the initial transition period from this last administration into this new one. I'll be honest with you all. Um, I, like many of you, spent a significant part of my last two years, um, really working to build the kind of power in our communities that would force us to remember that we cannot afford to leave anything at all on the table, even though these systems were not designed for our participation, even though these systems were designed intentionally to lock us out and leave us behind that our non-engagement in these processes is part of what allows them to function. But with that, what we've seen is this tension of, we know that these people are not for us. We know that their interests are not our interests. And we know that the way that they plan to govern is not on behalf of our communities. It is on behalf of their own their political communities, their business communities, their economic communities, their communities that are shaped by a worldview that says that only some belong. And at the same time, as they transition the guard, a lot of what we hear is it's now time to be patient. It's now time to move forward. It is now time to reconcile. And it is now time to bring people together who previously did not agree. And I disagree with that, uh, with that framing of what we need to do now. And in fact, for me, I'm very clear that at the end of the day, what is critical about our participation is that it's not that we accelerate their agenda, but that we create space for our own. And for me, there is no reconciling what is happening in this country without telling the truth about where the responsibility for what is happening in this country lies. And what we know is that the responsibility for where this country is now really lies at the feet of the people that are governing right now. And some of those people are people that we have ushered into power, whether through our participation or through our lack of engagement. And so for me, 
I'll be honest. I woke up this, uh, this week cussing <laughs> about yet another, uh, news article, right. That wanted to talk about how, um, you know, movements were actually detrimental to this last election cycle, as opposed to the catalyzing force that helped to push their promise over the finish line. And, you know, we're used to, at this point, continuing to hear that we can't go too far, that we have to be more moderate, that we have to slow down, that we can't be too radical, that we cannot be too visionary. And in fact, I would say we have no choice but to be radical, but to be visionary, but to reject being moderate. And we have no choice but to create the kinds of alternatives that will usher this nation into a new century, but that will also, frankly, uh, ensure that we can live to fight another day. And so for me, just coming back to this hospice care idea, um, when we look at things like criminal system reform, when we look at uh, immigration reform, when we look at uh, climate devastation and the solutions that are being put on the table, if you would call them that, um, what we know is that those solutions are business as usual. When it comes to policing, I woke up <laughs> yesterday and the day before to vice pre or to president elect Joe Biden saying that you know, they have no intention of doing massive reforms, but that instead the ma the most massive reform they are going to uh, bring into being is a commission that will likely just study the problem. <laughs> we know that this kind of approach doesn't work. And so it is our task to ensure that um, our presence right now is not the intervention that keeps old ways of being from passing away. And at the same time, we are responsible in this moment for bringing forward new ways of being together, new ways of operating, new ways of distributing resources, new ways of making decisions, and new ways of distributing power. We are also responsible for making sure that there are consequences when people disappoint us. If we are the powerful force that we know that we are, if we have put our blood, our sweat, and our tears into making sure that we prevent car crashes right, from happening, we also have to make sure um, that we are demanding our due. And by demanding our due, it takes much more than saying that they're not doing enough. We have to actually put new things on the table. And those new things look like uh, uh, the BREATHE Act, right, which is a beautiful, beautiful piece of omnibus legislation that not only talks about where to divest resources from, from systems and practices and ways of operating that no longer serve us, but it also designates how to reallocate and reinvest those resources into practices and ways of being and ways of being organized, ways of distributing resources and power that can actually build the power of our communities. And what I can say is that we're in a moment 
where essentially we're being told those things are not possible. But even by acknowledging (laughs) that our alternatives are the biggest threat to their way of operating, what we know is that it's 100% possible. And now our work is to build the political will for our solutions. Another task that we must take seriously in this moment is to build our forces. And by building our forces, I do not just mean building the left. By building our forces, I mean this is a moment for us to build popular fronts that can reach beyond the people who are already engaging with each other, already talking with each other, already visioning together. You know, I feel so lucky to have been a part of a left community for close to two decades now. (laughs) And it's always curious to me because having, you know, been in this work for a while now, I always yearn to see faces that I don't know. I always yearn to meet people who I've never met before, who I've never heard of before, and who have never heard of me before. That's our work in this moment. And I want to tell you why. It's larger than breaking through our silos. It's bigger than breaking up our cliques, although all of those things are important. But the reason that we have to build beyond the forces that we engage in right now, that we have to build bigger, that we have to expand, is because, frankly, our opposition is winning on that front. Our opposition takes very seriously the notion that they cannot survive if they are not replicating themselves. And so that is why they find themselves in schools and universities. That is why they attack critical race studies, right? That is why they attack ethnic studies. That is why they work to shift and shape curriculum in middle schools and high schools that say things like slavery was a, 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 a process by which people from Africa immigrated to the United States in order to be able to work, okay? This is why our opposition has invested in media platforms. It is why they have invested in television and radio and now increasingly online and social media platforms because they know that to maintain their power, They must reach people everywhere they are. They know that they have to find the people who are looking for answers as to why and how we got here, why things are the way they are, and what they can do about it. Our task is to provide a different interpretation. And frankly, What I know from personal experience is that with the rise of social media, with the rise of online platforms, these days lies spread faster than the truth. And the lies that are spreading faster than the truth are the lies that tell us that we are responsible for our own deaths, that there is nothing that we can do about the way that things are. 
These are the lies that say that it is immigrants who are to blame for the destruction and devastation that we see in our country. These are the lies that say that it is black people who are coming to take things from you that we don't deserve. These are the lies that say that the only way to continue forward is to become smaller and smaller. The lies that say that the only way to continue forward is to make sure to entrench power in the hands of a smaller and smaller number of people. Our task in this moment is to meet that fire with fire. Our task in this moment is to reach people where they are, to help them make sense of why things are the way they are, and to give them multiple ways to do something about it. Now, I know from my work with the Black Futures Lab that (laughs) there are so many people who are involved in our work that will never show up at a protest. But that's because the places where they protest are not in the streets. It's in their homes. It's in their workplaces. It's in their churches or their homes of worship. Their political action looks different, but they are still taking political action. And so I see my role as making sure that Black people can get closer to progressive and radical politics. But my goal is not to organize progressive and radical Black people. And so I ask us as a movement to consider what it would take for us to replicate ourselves beyond our current ranks. This is a key task if we hope to build the kind of force necessary that not only is able to push back and to dismantle the things that we don't like, but we have to become a force that takes leadership and that takes on the task of governance. Now, in my closing comments, in real closing, not the preacher closing, (laughs) in closing, I'd like to say, these are the places where we have to reimagine what in our society, what in our economy, what in our democracy deserves prenatal care, deserves the kind of investment where we know it's not yet born, but we are building it. Who do we need to be in this moment to give it the nourishment that it deserves? Again, I'm so grateful for all of the people who I know suspended disbelief. And even if you didn't suspend disbelief, you got clear on the task at hand. Now we have an opportunity to zoom out and to look around us and say, who else is not here and what has kept them from being here? Are we actually the fighters that we need to be right now? And if not, what do we need to do in order to get there? I know that in the next couple of hours that you all spend together, you will be grappling with these conversations and you will be taking these conversations back into your communities, into your organizations, into your uh, places where you do your political work. And I want you to know that I am here grappling with the same questions right alongside you. I 100% that believe that we can win. And as I say often, it's not that uh, we have to have a, a hope that is devoid of a material analysis of what we're dealing with, but we do have to have a hope that drives us that is not driven by despair. 
but instead it's driven by the love that we have for ourselves and each other and the belief that we actually can win. Thank you so much to the Center for Political Education. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Alicia, and congratulations to you on your book, and um, glad to have you in the struggle. And uh, for everybody else tuning in, please uh, join us in 15 minutes uh, for the second session, What's Left? Building Power After Elections. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.